Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I might chip out, man. I got this, yeah. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time to listen to Reese and Dan on the Ankle Pick Pod. Welcome back, Ankle Pickers. We're here on a lovely Thursday afternoon this time. And I'm not really sure why, but we have what we call a full panel here, shots fired. We have Kobe. Kobe, how are you feeling after Woj ruined your afternoon? You know what? I was misled, but I didn't lose any money from it. So it's all good. Yeah, yeah. And you did lose money. You could have hopped on the Banchero train. Danny, how are you feeling? You did hop on the Banchero train. I'm feeling great. And you know what? I'm happy to announce to the Ankle Pick team, to our listeners, the end of my internet woes. We are officially at a new location, much wow. higher gig speed, a absolute step forward. Wow. Oh, I didn't hear that. Can you, Danny, you broke up there. Is this like a school of the deaf joke? It is. Danny's in good shape, and I freaking love it. We needed that. All the ankle pickers who would get broken audio every once in a while from Danny's storming hot takes no longer. We love to see that. So we're going to break down or recap, if you will, uh, UFC Austin, which two of these Fox were in the building for. Then we're going to move to a little P- – we're going to do a little sprinkle, a little PFL breakdown in. Kobe's going to come at you with news and notes. And then we'll hit UFC what? What is this? UFC Vegas 57. 57, apparently. And a super underrated card. I know that there's been a lot of shouts of not a lot of name value, but I'm so excited for this. The past two fight night cards have been unreal. And we'll get into UFC Austin, which, in my opinion, is card of the year, card of the century. I mean, card of all time. Ridiculous. And, and it was finishes galore. And so we're going to have to break down a lot of these or just go through a lot of these because of the fact that it was such a ridiculous card and full of finish. I mean, if we skip over every decision, we're still going to be here for a while. But let's start with the Roman Delete say knee over Kyle Dawkins. I was told the card started 30 minutes later than it did. So I didn't get my Delete say bet in, but I was going to place it because plus 200 or whatever the fuck he was, was too damn high. And he finished him with a, the one of the most flexible knees I think I've ever seen. Oh, it was crazy from the clinch. It, even showing the replay in the in the octagon, I didn't or in the arena, I didn't know how he got his knee up there, like exactly how you're saying. Um, so but yeah, how, he looked dominant. So on TV, for all of us people who listened on TV, he it was loud. I mean, it was an echoous knee. What was it like in the building? Ridiculous. Oh, the pop was huge, and yeah. and you know that. At, First fight of the night on a fight night card. There's not a ton of people there. I mean, my section on the floor had maybe 10 guys sitting there. Um, and it was loud in there. It was it was awesome. Yeah, you just can't beat that. But Delete say really making a name for himself. And I'm sure JP buys who's on this week card ain't happy about it. Okay. Yeah. So we I know, I think we talked about it. But I'll let you have your role anyways. But I will not be guessing bonuses because I know all the bonuses. And there is a lot of them. I mean, I think we can just say it from the top. Dana pulled a, a big Dana moment, gave every finish on the card a bonus, and then a fight of the night bonus to one of the best fights technically that I've seen in a long time. I rewatched it this morning. Um, I mean, I'm, ta- I'm talking about 
is Magulov Kutate Laza. I don't want to get there already. We could continue moving up the card. But in terms of bonuses, I respect to Dana for giving everyone that put on a show one of the best cards. Like I said, and, and they deserve of, 50K. Yeah, they do. So a lot of money getting around. But speaking of putting on a show, Phil Hawes just masterclassed on Duran Win. And Duran wins on our fade list, Dan. And, and he looked undersized and he had a tough time closing the distance and all that. But Phil Hawes, a guy who's shown weaknesses um, since, his, since his UFC debut, holy shit, he looked crisp as hell. Incredible. Oh, I, yeah. think he had, I think in my opinion, he had the most eye-opening performance and there were a lot of amazing ones. But he's the one who I think overdid his expectations the most, I think. I don't disagree, but I'm not sure that I learned the most from, about him from that fight. It seemed like Duran was just there to be hit. And, and I, I don't know, I, I, obviously he looked as good as possible and he did not let Duran get a single second in that fight. Duran was just so hittable and, and yeah. it almost seemed like he was a punching bag on skates after maybe yeah. two minutes. You could have, you could have, you could have stopped that fight beforehand just out on the feet situation. Obviously yeah. Duran did a great job of staying tough and staying no active enough, but tough. he did not win a second and, and the last thing you need is the broadcast booth being like, man, is Duran Wynn durable? That basically means you're getting your ass kicked. Uh, minor storyline here, too. Duran Wynn, orbital surgery. And Phil Hawes got into it with Daniel Cormier for some reason. I think Duran Wynn is Duran Wynn AKA? Uh, yeah. They're, uh, yeah I so, even think that it's an Oklahoma State wrestling connection, if I'm not mistaken. They're great friends. I know that. I'm not sure if it's an Oklahoma State wrestling connection. But, um, yeah, they're great friends. They definitely train together. Uh, there was something I think said that maybe DC picked that matchup for him. I don't, I don't know how true. Yeah, I don't is. know the exact drama, but it was, there was intense words exchanged inside the octagon post fight that Phil Hawes has later apologized for. So Cody Stamen, a guy that Danny and I have disagreed with on his place in this division, just work, just an absolute work over Eddie Weiland. And then Eddie Weiland subsequently retired. I think Eddie Weiland was long, I mean, he's been, he was in the WEC. He's been knocked out a couple times in a row. Glad to see him retiring um, just for his own health. And, and so I don't give Cody Stamen like, oh my God, what an amazing performance. I think Eddie Wineland was basically a sacrificial lamb, but you can't deny Cody Stamen put it on him fast and hard. Definitely. Yeah. And it's funny because moving this week, I found a uh, one of 75 Cody Stamen Panini prism of mine. So uh, I, I'm on the Cody Stamen train again. It go. seems like I have been, but um, another great, not another, but a really great bounce back win. He looked awesome. Like you said, Wineland didn't have much for him, but um, great win from Cody. Most impressive finish, in my opinion, as far as highlight reel worthy, Ricardo Hamos versus Danny Chavez, that spinning elbow that he set up that Danny Chavez just, and that's, and that right there, I mean, you, you've seen, Hamos put those spin attacks together frequently in the UFC, but this looked like a class thing to me a little bit. You know what I mean? Danny Chavez just shouldn't been in that ring to begin with. And Cardo Hamos showed it a guy that you worry a lot about his grappling ability. And all of a sudden he comes out there and throws these spin strikes. And I think he has like two knockouts now with spinning. Yeah. There were a couple of really one-sided affairs and I know you skipped over it, but I do want to mention the MMA algorithm Another woman's dog cashing Maria Oliveira. I was going to collectively do it, but we can do – there's only two women's fights, so we might as well do it True. now. They both hit. They both, both hit? hit? 
plus mm-hmm. 4.8 units this week. Ridiculous. 2.64. So we got out of the red on the year. Are Wait, you sure it's only that? I thought with both hitting as dogs. Yeah, I yeah. thought Silva was a big dog. Those are those are the single units, not not the. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. One's okay. plus two sixty. One's plus two twenty. Yeah, humongous. And that's what when we're barely out of the red now. That's weird. Okay. Out that's of the red small. though. Science works. Um, Jeremiah Wells knocked out Court McGee. This is one that I think Court McGee has shown himself is like almost reinvigorated. He looks phenomenal. He fought phenomenal his last couple times out. But man, the 35-year-old, I think, Jeremiah Wells, who came to the scene late, but his power is undeniable, in my opinion. Holy Definitely. And, and we knew he was going to start fast in the first round. I might have mentioned um, a possible first-round play, but I didn't end up touching it, which was a regret. Kept things small last week, but was a bad scorecard away from a sweep. Yep. Don't even remind me. Um, I had one parlay that missed, thanks to Mr. Cater, but that's not on him. Um, okay, so then Silva beat Juice Divarius for the dog. Um, <laughs> that's Jasmine Jassadouvicious. Whatever. So Adrian Yanez finished Tony Kelly fast again, uh, first round finish. And, and maybe was- the biggest pop of the night for anyone was the walkout for Adrian Inez. A lot of people in the room really excited about, about him uh, putting the hurt on Tony Kelly. Yeah. So for those who don't know the storyline, basically Tony Kelly got caught hot mic'd in the corner saying some derogatory things uh, towards Brazilians. He's kind of been under the hot seat since then. A lot of people wanted Yanez, the Texas native to finish him in Austin. He did just that pretty fast too. So, I mean, dude, we, we talk about Giannis and he's a guy. And again, we haven't seen that huge step up in com- competition, but when you look at a guy since his contender series, it's head kick knockout, counter right knockout, uh, punch knockout over Randy Costa. And then now this first round knockout, we got a first, a third, a second, a first and a split decision with Davey Grant. But still like this dude is, is undeniably a top, five striker at 35 is that crazy to say not crazy his combinations are nice it's the kind of thing if you're gonna stand there and watch him begin a combination you and i you might not be standing there at the end of the combination um but with this run he's on i have to bring up there might be a a situation where he gets into a five round fight and is a little bit lost for the final 15 minutes uh, I, I think that we're going to start seeing some pretty one-sided Adrian Yanez lines that might not be as warranted as it should be just because of how big and, oh, and, yeah. and fantastic these finishes are. No, but but that you can't have fantastic yeah. finishes and have that just be your plan every time. I mean, to, to a pretty extreme level, that was the downfall of Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena. Once your power doesn't carry you anymore – you tend to be pretty lost. Right. And that's something that I think we we see a lot in this sport where someone rides the momentum of their performances to a point where they're over, not overmatched, but overlined. And that happens a lot because the public will steam them up. So get the value when you can. And listening to us, you already know you already are getting the value. Gregory Rodriguez finished Julian Marquez, much to Parker's demise. KOTKO first round, three minutes. The judge, or I mean, the ref gave, I, I don't know, remember who it was. I think it was, 
Tyone. I can't remember, but he gave Marquez every shot to stay in there, and it, it just was too much. Gregory Rodriguez put the hurt on and looked phenomenal too, dude. Yeah, I mean, a, I'm, I'm one of those fights that looked more, one-sided. I'm getting more and more impressed by Gregory uh, Rodriguez, to be completely honest. Um, I think he won that Armin Petrosian fight, low-key, and he's been on a tear before then. So, um, And that was one of my only straight bets going in. And it was yes. heavily based on that Armin Petrosian performance. He's not going to get outstruck by Julian Marquez. No, he's not. With that. And we knew he was the better grappler. So I figured that, like, what, minus 160, 170, 175 was what it was at even on fight night. That was a gift. Yeah. And a gift it was. Cashed in heavy for you. Demir Gulov split decision over Garam Gutatiladze. I think the storyline here is people – don't realize how good Garam is. And I know that's weird coming off a split decision loss, but he is one and one in the UFC and he's beat this week's main event, Mateus Gamrat up a weight. And now he went a split decision that was razor thin against a 24 and one Demir Ismagulov. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And, and he looked incredible too. He looked and, and the win he had over Matus was also a split. The difference between the two for me is I scored upon review the first fight for Matus and this one upon review, I scored for Garam. I really think he won maybe all three rounds. When I heard 30 27, I thought they were going to raise the Georgian's hand. I think Demir escaped with one here. And that's not to say he didn't perform awesome. He he returned everything that Guran gave him and more. Those body shots, the hooks that he was landing were brutal. I just don't think he did it enough. In the first round, for sure, he got yeah, really hurt. Yeah, I, I might need to review as well, because I remember scoring it uh, 29-28 Ismagulov. I gave the first one to Garam, second two to Ismagulov. I'll need to watch it back. Um, but he, the thing that I said about this fight that I think is so accurate, I feel like if you run this fight 10 times, it's a 5-5 split. I mean, these guys were for so sure. equal on the feet, and neither of them really wanted to grapple. But the exchanges, you could tell when it, when it came to – um, different combinations, different striking positions. I don't remember if they were clinched at all, but it was just tit for tat. You know what I mean? Back and forth. It was so even. It really was would, an awesome fight. It, it's yeah. one of the perfect fights that you look for as a fan. I would watch just, this one. I would watch this one back a couple more times. Right. Two guys at the very top of their skill level going punch for punch. It was just, yeah, I cannot say enough good things. And good on Dana in a night full of finishes where it could have easily been overshadowed just by – Hang on, like Dan. Seven Dan. finishes. A little cleanup. This wasn't fight of the night. This was not. No, we're, we haven't got to it yet. Oh my gosh! I thought it's, it's the main. No. I thought it was this. They gave it. They gave it to the one, a bad scorecard. So, Walking Buckley. I thought that they did a good job. No, nope. damn it. Walking Walking Buckley put the hurt on Albert Duraev. Kobe stands by his fish pick, but Buckley put a beating on and ended up. It ended up being a doctor stoppage, but it was, you could tell the way this thing was going, you know? How about the boys? A shout out to you and I, Reese, finding an over to ankle lock in this card full of the all time most finishes, most first and second round finishes on any card of all time. Yep. And you and I picked out an over spot. Yep. Huh? Yep. Not only that, but an over spot that. The only that wasn't even close, but the only reason why it even got stopped in the first place was it was like a corner doctor stoppage in between rounds, not like an actual live action finish. I mean, we were they were poised for 15, they were ready for 15. 
I mean, I was geeked out all night celebrating, but I think maybe the loudest I cheered was when this fight went over just because <laughs> it meant I was guaranteed a green night and that uh, everything was good and it was just okay to be an absolute fan and get fucking drunk at that point. There we go. And so the, um, so yeah, this, this brought me to green and then I had a parlay that would have made me really green and missed. Um, and one of the legs of this said parlay is this one, Kevin Holland versus Tim Meats. Kevin Holland put on the Darts choke and you have a scary 170 pound Kevin Holland. I'm telling you, I mean, like the first round For is real. much closer and he's been a slow starter um, so far at 170, which is, you know, that might just be his style. Tony Ferguson was a slow starter on his 11 fight win streak, but Holland at 170. I mean, you looked at him next to Tim Means and it was just, I mean, Tim Means, I know a lot of people kind of might overlook him, especially because of his age, but he's one of the best strikers this division has. As and far he was as coming on striking. in that first round, as you said, he was. with those counter he punches. He really was hurting Kevin. I think it was smart of Kevin to go for that choke when he, when he saw the first opening. Yeah. Um, and it shows he's always been the cerebral fighter. Maybe that this is the first time that Travis Luter black belt that I've mentioned has uh, reared its ugly head, but Ridiculous. it looks like it's real. And at 170, no, it he's is. as dominant as, as ever. He's a scary 170 because his striking's incredible. He, his size is incredible. And his, his mentality, now that he's cha- changed his antics a little bit, he's, he's focused on winning. He's kind of gone the Michelle Pereira out a little bit where, he was clowning at 85, but these guys were laying on top of him because they literally had him by 20 pounds come fight night. Um, so 170 seems like a good home for him, and that was an easy parlay ad. He's After talking that, about a Nate Diaz fight. What do you think about that? Do I heard Nate Diaz was fighting like Jake Paul or something. I don't know. I mean, I think Kevin Dana, Holland- Dana commented after uh, in the post-fight presser of UFC Austin that he doesn't think we'll see Nate fighting the UFC again. But, wouldn't surprise me. Nate, but Nate has one fight left in his contract and Dana won't release him. Right. Dana, so Nate doesn't seem interested in that. He just, but Nate's out of his fucking mind, which everyone's always known, but he just like goes on and on. I mean, I think that there's always that back pocket of McGregor three, which I don't think we'll see. Um, And then I think that, you know, anyone else that, that, he, like George Masvidal, but I mean, dude, all these guys at this stage in Diaz's career smoke him. Everyone. I mean, Holland puts their hurt on Diaz. They all do. So I, I don't know. We'll see. Diaz stung Leon. Dude, Leon. Yeah. After getting ass kicked, but he did sting Leon. Um, all right. Split decision main event, Josh Emmett, Calvin Cater. And I scored it uh, 48, 47 Cater, but I'm not like there have been worse robberies. This one was upsetting, but there's been worse robberies. In terms of main events on the weekend, I was much more sure that Clay Collard won when he lost his split decision at PFL on Friday than mm-hmm. I was that Kelvin uh, Cater had won. Upon That's rewatch, I do think that Calvin Cater won. I do too. So Cater, I gave four and five for Cater guaranteed, and I think those are the only two rounds that you could definitively score. Then I think that the fact that two of the judges, one of the judges gave them at 49-47, I think, which is or 49-46, which is crazy. But um, I don't know how you give Emmett all three of the first three rounds. That's where I got lost. Also, I think it was um, one of Calvin's coaches, Tyson Chartier, that pointed out a unique thing if you look at the scorecards. Um, two-thirds of the judges gave Calvin four out of five rounds, even though the scorecards didn't add up uh, to Calvin winning. 
No, if it was you, if you go round by round. Right. Oh, if, right. If you go round by round, two thirds of the judges rather than score by score gave four out of five. Wait, wait, wait. Three out of five. He won a majority of rounds if you if you scored it by round. So like. Yeah, I see what judges. you're saying. I see what you're saying. So, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's re- it's ridiculous, and I think that Cater did enough. And then the other thing too that a lot of MMA fans want is it's they always go for that eye test, like damage. When you look at them at the end of the fight, Emmett was looked like a fucking bag of raw hamburger meat that got smashed up for a minute, and Cater looked fine. And I, I think that I don't know. I, I just I scored it for Cater. Cater going into the judges, by the way, live bet minus three thirty going into the judges after round five, which is also pretty interesting. But nonetheless, Texas judging will Texas judge. Josh Emmett gets a split decision. They also get fight of the night, which I also weirdly disagree with. Um, and, the, and then the last thing as cleanup, the parlay was uh, Phil Hawes, um, Kevin Holland, Adrian Yanez, and Calvin Cater. So that one stunk. And as you know, if you listen to this podcast, I did not hedge. Um, all right. So let's kick it over to want to do news and notes first or PFL first. Let's run news and notes and bring it into PFL. All right. Hit it. Um, we mentioned Eddie Wineland. Um, another retirement, a little more significant probably is a beat officially retired this week. Um, kind of an all time. What if, and granted we haven't seen him in a while, but. Your guys take there. So I've been saying that like a lot of people, I've been seeing that a lot of people saying an all time. What if, in my opinion, I don't feel that way. I I think that we really clearly saw, can you let me finish? I didn't even finish my take. How do you know it's a bad take? If I haven't finished my take, I was going to say that I pretty confidently saw Zabit's max level in that cater fight. And I think that if you ask me, where his ceiling is, my, my ceiling, my, it's a Michelle Pereira level cater. That's what it is. I, I don't see him holding the belt at 45 and I don't think, and no one can convince me of it. I, I, I think that that's a bad take. Because you think he beats Volkanovski or Holloway? You're out of your mind. I'm, you're I out mean, of your I, mind. What I think is that he's 31 years old and that there's a lot more. And we see a lot of guys come on Holloway's in their 29. late 30s. You see a lot of guys come on in their late thirties and he has every single skill in terms of the grappling and in terms of the kickboxing, the cardio was the the major question mark. And I think, do you believe that Zabit would have held gold if he, if he stayed in the UFC? I mean, it's easy to say yes, because I can't be proven wrong. No, I mean, really, I I think that he has the skill set that if he improved his cardio and improved his athleticism, and put himself aligned with the right people and coaches, he could have been a major contender for five, six years. But he already was – I feel like he already was considered a contender. And that's kind of – I'm talking in a real sense of uh, even line fights going in with Volk, with uh, Holloway, as they're at the end of their careers, and he's four or five years younger. So let me ask you a question, and and this is an honest question. Why – did he take a guy like Jeremy Stevens to unanimous decision? Like why? How many people have finished Jeremy Stevens? I mean, Kyle, ba- Calvin Cater. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't have Jeremy Stevens record in front of me. They, they, well, those are but remember fights. that Calvin Cater elbow where he slammed in from the top and just fucking took his face off. 
that I mean, that's true. It's just like I think I don't think, I think a lot of people I think a lot of people agree that if that cater fight went five, cater wins, which again is a what if. I just think that like when you look at the beat, a lot of people are saying, Oh my god, it's the biggest what if ever because of how flashy he was, but not actually thinking about it. But what do I know? I mean, I we haven't seen him fight in three years. He, you know what I mean? You don't we'll never know. You're right. I it's mean, what he, if on the aspect missed, we'll never know. He, he really missed the evolution of that dag fighter gym. You think he's coming up right now with guys like Saeed Nurmagomedov, Magomed Magomedov, and he's not gonna like be a cardio phenomenon no, I, I mean, like I'm, those guys? No, I'm not saying he wouldn't. I'm just saying that like I, I think that when people look at him, it's it, they might overinflate his true end-all potential because of how flashy he was. That's all. I think that's he's all potential. I think he's a burning ball of potential, and that's what we're talking I, about here, and, and that's why he's the big what-if. That's that's yeah, just I what know. it is. I, I think I think when you look at his division and, and what he put on in that cater fight, I, I think Volk smokes him. I, I think – I mean, Holloway's younger than him. That's so underrated. I think Holloway smokes him. Okay, Calvin Cater wins this fight and he gets a, he gets the next title shot, correct? Calvin Cater lost. You could say that if it was five rounds, it'd be different. Whatever. Calvin Cater lost and got smoked in the first ten minutes. No, I'm not saying Zabit. I'm not saying Zabit wouldn't have fought for a title. I'm just saying that I think he'd be like in the like same. In, you can admit talked about the same way. If we're gonna take only the first ten minutes of fights, and obviously you can't do that, and obviously this is a bad way to start a conversation. But if we're <laughs> gonna take only the ten minute first ten minutes of fights, Zabit yeah, gotta, and Max Holloway against Calvin Cater are pretty similar performances, and 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 you're gonna say that Zabit can't ever hold. I wouldn't gold? say I I don't know about ten minutes, but yeah, okay. Look, we'll put it this way: Zabit obviously talented, obviously flashy. I don't want to get too bogged down on something that unfortunately we're never going to see. I just, when I've been reading a lot of comments in the MMA community, it feels like everyone is talking about this guy as if he's Khabib, and, and it's just not so in my opinion, but. Well, speaking of question marks, we can move on to the next kind of question mark here. News today, Timur value removed from the UFC rankings. Weird oh, one. I think, and I don't even think that's the biggest surprise. I think the Bontorin is the biggest surprise. Both, both are both are really, I, really. I know, but but Bontorin is that one shocked me because I so there there was a little side thing that came with the Bontorin news. Hang on, Bontorin was off the rankings. Value was off the roster, though. Am I right about that or wrong? No, Bontera Bontorin did get cut. It was confirmed. Okay. Um. And, and what's weird about that to me is um, a split decision loss against Brandon Royval, who a lot of people consider a title contender. And you had him, and he also had Kai Car France backpacked. And it just didn't seem like he was even on the chopping block. So that one took me for a big surprise where Valiev. On the other hand, if I don't remember, if I remember correctly, I, I feel like he hasn't put together a win yet in the UFC. Is that not right? Oh, no. He beat Barcelos by majority of Martin Day. Yeah, that one's really surprising, too. A loss to Jack Day and then just cut. You got to ask yourself, and this is an interesting question, is Dana scalping the 25ers again? I don't know about that. I mean, he, he's paid a lot of money to promote guys like Bram Moreno and guys like Kai Car France just in the past like year and a half. 
Um, and that, and that's not even the guy that's whatever, in my opinion, holding gold right now. And then Dyko Davidson, Figueredo. But so do you think it's, do you think it's, so here, do you think it's a money thing? Was it a renegotiation thing? And they think they're worth more. That's that's yeah. That's the way I lean. I don't have a lot of information, but right. No, both, I've, both I both guys are right. really talented. I expect yeah. to see them again fighting maybe Bellator, maybe PFL. Oh, oh I would love them both on the PFL roster. Speaking I don't know how of, uh, Bontarine would fit in maybe going up to 35 again. or something. Well, so that's what I was going to say. Um, in the release statement for Bontarine, he mentioned that wherever he fights next or his agent or whatever, wherever he fights next, he will be fighting at 35. Okay. So I think it's a good decision for him. I don't know if that's by force. Like, I don't know if it's, do these other divisions not have fly? Like, does Bellator not have flyweight? I don't know off the top of my head. Men's flyweight. No, they do, right? I don't know. They might not. They might not. And he might just be forced because UFC might be the only men's flyweight. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. I, that's, a, that's an interesting. What else, Kobe? Keep going while Danny digs. Yeah, we're just going to get into some announcements slash replacements, but not this week. Next week, Bobby Green is out of his fight. We already have a fill-in. That's UFC 276, um, July 2nd. Cowboy Cerrone stepping in versus Jim Miller. That'll be an awesome fight. I'm really sad I didn't get to see uh, Cowboy in, here in Austin, but um, obviously Joe Lozon had some complications there, but Good for Cowboy. I, yeah, I that one still, was cursed. I still think Cowboy needs a whatever to a fight off into the sunset. I don't think that is a good matchup for him. Um, a couple weeks later, August thirteenth, Cheeto Vera and Don Cruz. Love that. I and 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 here's and again, I know we don't know lines, and we we need we have a couple set of spreads to do, but it, this might be a hot take, but. I think Dom Cruz is going to look pretty good there. Yeah, I mean, they, they fight in a similar or not just a um, an interesting stylistic matchup with Dom Cruz's movement and that's, um, the volume that Cheeto Bear is going to bring. But she's going to have to get it going early. He can't be a slow starter like he has. Right. Been. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. I just think that this – like, I think Cheeto has beyond earned this fight and this opportunity – but I, I still think Dom – want to hear a crazy Dom statistic? This is wild. Dom Cruz has never lost a non-title fight. Isn't that ridiculous? What a crazy stat. Sorry. That was just a little Reese tidbit there. All right, back to the drawing board. The following week, we've got two fight announcements for UFC 278 in Salt Lake City. Marcin Tybura and Alexander Romanov. Okay. That's a fun matchup. Good for Romanov getting a uh... – Fast track to some yeah. better fights. Opponent. Yeah. yeah, instead of being a can crusher. Um, also, I like that Dan can crusher. I like that. Can I get a drum roll, please? Marab Dabalashvili getting the fight against Jose Aldo. What a fight draw, too. I mean, this is the let's get this man on the scene type fight draw and then it gets even better people if he wins this fight against jose aldo guess what title shot aljo's going to 45 marab getting a vacant shot against probably Piotr Jan. 
I mean, I I'm obviously this is pre-tape, pre-set the spread. I will be so hard on the Jose Aldo side there. You would be. And he would you be. forget about that guy's elite takedown defense. No, I love I it's not even about the takedown defense, which I don't think you can defend against a guy like Marab, but I think it's more about Marlon Marice, like in in this, not not like old Marlon Marice that was stouching people. This Marlon Marice. I'll wait. The same Marlon Marice, the same Marlon Marice that head kicked now champion in 30 seconds. That Marlon Marice? No, a really different Marlon Marice. No, it's that Marlon Marice. You're just picking Marice. Yeah, you're picking and choosing. The guy who stouched Jimmy Rivera, Marlon Marice. Yeah. The guy who's on a four-fight losing streak and hasn't won since 2019, Marlon Marais. That head kick was in 2018. So, oh, sorry, 2017. We're t- you're talking about five years ago, Marlon Marais, versus like five months ago, Marlon Marais. It's a different Marlon Marais. Wait, so how did the Marlon Marais-Marab fight end? I can't remember. I mean, it, it was his third knockout of four in a row. That's Wait. the Marlon Marais that, that we're talking about. I know what happened. It was his third. It, it, so it, he was coming off of a wheel kick loss to Corey Sandhagen. Right. What happened? Round one knockout. What happened? Is the argument who won or is the argument no, what, whether I'm, or not Rob almost got remember. knocked out by Marlon <laughs> Who would have thought this one was going to get personal? Never would have been. Not it me. Just, Couldn't it be me. Just a bad take. And then when Dan rips Malort uh, three shots – Next recap because he took shop, he gave me shop, cut it even money. Um, Marlon Marais' <laughs> Marlon Marais's actual last real win was a Sun Sao in February of 2019. Did he finish a Sun Sao? Yeah, gu- guillotine. Sun Sao is a very tough guy to finish. Guillotine right, choke, whatever. not a finish. I don't know what we're even not a TKO. I don't know what we're even doing here. Why are we talking about this? Congrats, Marab, on the great fight. Jose Aldo's gonna be a favorite. Marab is gonna gas tank him out, and that's gonna be that. Moving on. I'm gonna I'm gonna let this uh Shavkot um Malort ride on Jose Aldo. Nope, I want pay I want payment in full. And then you're just gonna owe double. How do you figure? Moving on. I'm letting it ride. Same bet. I'll I'll pay and you owe double because it's already paid. <laughs> wait, no, wait, 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 wait. No, you'll just pay and then I'll also pay if I lose. No, then you'll you'll pay double. <laughs> All right. That's not how double or nothing six, works. When, six X bet. That's not Jose how double. Aldo. That's not how double or nothing works when you're the one who is the ower. <laughs> it doesn't go double or nothing on the other guy. No, no I don't think you get it. <laughs> you have don't. six shots malort when Marlon Marais or fuck. <laughs> I clearly don't get it. All right, we're drunk. <laughs> Speaking of six shots malort, um, okay. <laughs> UFC Paris, September 3rd, uh, announcing first Nasrat Hakkarast and John McDessie. Okay. Good matchup for Nasrat. But do you know what I do want to talk about? How incredible it is that all of a couple of years ago, MMA was illegal in the state of, or in the in this country of France, and now we have a Paris event. Remarkable. How far the sports come is crazy. Um, also on that card in Paris. Chukagian out, Jessica Andrade stepping in to fight Manon Faro. Yeah. That, I mean, I think that in people, Paris. I think people thought Chuk was a good matchup for Faro, and now it's going to be even a tougher step up for Faro. So I'm excited for that one. 
So we can major be- tough step up for Fraro. I think Andrade is going to look nice there. Andrade always looks nice, except against Shevchenko, who evidently doesn't look nice against Jennifer Maya and uh, whoever the Talia Santos. What a world, dude! What are we? What world are we living in right now? I do not understand. Shevchenko crucifix destroys Andrade right. and then gets beat Bogdan. up by Talia Santos. Lex. Last fight announcement. Well, Dan's Sandhagen. just chirping Marab, and I'm trying to let him know that happens to everybody. All right, continue. Corey Sandhagen, Songy Dong, September 17th. That's it for – That's Nintendo. a matchup. So Songy Dong might have bite off, bought off a little bit more than he could chew there. That's what you think? Okay. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with that. I, I will never back a team alpha male. I was curious what you thought, though. Um, We've got PFL 5 coming up Friday – what, June 24th, as well as Bellator 282, June 24th. You guys take it. Literally, this, this podcast is dropping Friday morning, most likely with audio, right, country? Yep. And so yep. by the time you're listening to this, look alive because Bellator is going to be happening in a couple hours and then PFL shortly thereafter. So Friday night, as in like the day you're listening to this, if you're not, if you're listening on time, um, we got some PFL and some Bellator. And so um, first things first, Dan, and I don't want to go through all of the PFL because you know we could spend hours. Um, what a great organization and what a great well-run. But a couple ex-UFC guys that I want to talk about. But before we got there, do you see Brandon Lochnane? And unless this is fixed or like unless this is be altered, he's the curtain jerker. Is this true? Yeah, he is. It's a last-minute uh, replacement in terms of his matchup. He yep. was supposed to fight Boston Salmon, another guy that is no stranger to uh, whatever the UFC or this podcast. Um, but he's fighting a guy in Ago Huskick who it, his last fight was actually on Showtime FC. So it's, it's a cool little tidbit. I asked Anthony Pettis about that at PFL Media Day. And he said how cool it was about how his legacy is going to last on in this sport with Showtime FC producing the next generation of fighters and and how it's so cool he's getting a chance to fight on the card with one. Um, But it should be a great matchup for Brendan. I mean, Ago is just not even nearly the threat that Boston Salmon was. Just interesting to see Lochnane on on the curtain jerker of all places. What a great – I mean, he's a main card mainstay. Another thing, when you move up a little bit – you got probably the biggest mouth that ended poorly. Um, and you got Juan Adams fighting. And the reason why I say that is because he basically lost to Bilar, basically called out Greg Hardy and like was very vocal about how he's going to smoke him. And he gets KO'd, hammer fist in 45 seconds, quickly turns around, loses to Tafa, gets cut, um, and then finds his way losing in Fury FC as well. So, um, who knows? But he found himself on PFL and he's fighting Sam K, which is, I don't know much about this fight other than I know Juan Adams. So it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that Juan Adams is a good last minute replacement in this one. I, I mean, it's, it's a situation where I would like to see him fight and I would like to see him get back. Fury FC is a good card. I mean, it's, it's what we've got regionally here in Texas. Um, but this is a good matchup for him. Neither neither guy is super experienced, and it should be just a lot of banging. Hey, we take those. I mean, especially on a, a heavyweight featherweight night, there's going to be a lot of that. 
Uh, Lance Palmer's taking on Shaman Marais, who's given us one of the better pohas to date. I like Shaman there, even though I believe he's a small dog, Dan. I think. Yeah, Lance came up short against Chris Wade in their opening matchup. And as you know, Chris, Chris Wade a, is no Chris Wade's joke. a hell of a fighter. He's yeah. on the main card as well. Uh, and he's fighting another ex-UFC guy, Kyle Bachnack. So it's going to be mm-hmm. wild. It's like a, it almost feels like a clash of the PFL ex-UFC, you know? Maybe just a little bit. But Lance Palmer is a former two-time PFL champion. I think that he's got a lot of wrestling. Shaman's got to make sure he stays off his back here and gets, uh, gets some Muay Thai off. It'll be interesting. I'm really excited for that one. Another one I'm really excited for because this guy got a chance to see live um, and he actually dapped me up on his way out of the nice win. Maurice Green fighting out of Evanston, Illinois, no less. Uh, and he's fighting Dennis Goltsov. Um, So that one is nice to see Maurice Green back in a notable promotion after getting let go from the UFC as well off a tough, tough skid. Yeah, um, I think this is a tough matchup for him, though. It is. Uh, Denise Goldsov yeah. is absolutely a smothering guy. Uh, and, and although Maurice Green is not a small guy, neither is Denise. And I think that Maurice has a size advantage over a lot of guys and a reach advantage. That's not going to be so much of the case here. Bubba Jenkins looking to bounce back against uh, Reynaldo Exxon. And Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not sure. Bubba, Bubba looked awesome against Kyle Bokniak in the first round. Played with his food a little. It was only a three-point decision, but um, he did look awesome. Wait, so I'm not thinking of – who am I thinking of? His really only loss is a tough decision over a right. tough decision to Chris Wade in the playoffs last year. You're right. He, he's thinking, looked phenomenal you're right. since coming I'm, to uh, the PFL. My bad. I am totally spun around. I was thinking of, uh, sorry, continue. You, my bad. You're right. Bubba Jenkins is not looking to bounce back. He just beat up Kyle Bachniak, who's an ex-UFC guy on this card as well. Um, but he's he, got himself in a tough situation. With Ronaldo um, Exxon? Yeah, so that's another last-minute replacement. Saba Blahi, the German wrestler with Drew. And so Bubba spent this whole camp preparing for a wrestler who's worse than him and a guy who's a much slower striker. And I think that there's a lot more or a lot different challenges in Ronaldo Exxon uh, that, that he's going to face just in terms of the jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai instead of boxing and wrestling. Exxon also coming off the PFL Challenger Series. Um, Definitely, which is a really great product. It's, it's cool a, how quick they get those guys to turn around. They get them used to product, the PFL season. Great product, but also a great experience for these young guys. I mean, like, so now he's not going to be a stranger to the PFL octagon. You know what I mean? That's amazing for him or PFL cage. I mean, that's, that's great to see. So that's a, a much anticipated fight for me. One I'm very excited about. Ante Delia um, is taking on Sheldon Graves. And this one's weird because, I know Shelton Graves, and I don't know why. And now I know why because I'm looking. He was a he uh, got a W on the Contender Series on the debut season in 2017. Um, never got his footing there. Finds himself in PFL, but Anti Delia man is is as tough as they come. I mean, he had a uh, UD loss to Capaloza, but outside of that. Outside of Capaloza, he is not lost inside. And the talk about a huge size advantage here. He yeah, looks so too. much bigger than Shelton. Um, and he's part of a small parlay I've got that's nice. going to be officially tracked for Good. this. PFL reveal it, reveal it at the end. Reveal it at the end. We'll do. I'm curious as well. Um, 
Chris Wade, Kyle Bachnack, you you can kind of transfer how Bubba Jenkins fought Kyle Bachnack. I, I always love Kyle Bachnack because he's a gamer um, and he's always down to scrap. But Chris Wade, man, he's a guy that I think – so he fought in the UFC a while back. And they – he fought Islam Makachev, um, Rustam Kulabov, and then Frankie Perez, and then he, he got cut. And that's one of those things where I always wonder – kind of we were talking about what ifs was to beat, dude. I mean, Chris Wade is so talented. He's proven it time and time again inside the PFL octagon – against Bubba Jenkins. I mean, he's got a win over Christos Yagos, who we'll talk about on the UFC card tonight. Incredible. And so it's, it's Chris Wade's impressed me. And I think this Kyle Bachniak is, a, it's a tough draw for Kyle again. I mean, taking on Bubba Jenkins and Chris Wade, but it, it, it's such a gift to see. I mean, I don't think people really realize how talented this PFL roster is shaping out to be. Um, Definitely. Henan Ferreira taking on Glidson Abreu. You want to talk about talent that the PFL has amassed? Look no further than Henan Ferreira. If this this almost feels like the promo that I did maybe a year, two years ago, definitely not a year, probably two years ago, uh, for Cyril Gant. This mm-hmm. is the next level kind of heavyweight athlete. He's six eight with an eighty five inch reach, cut like an absolute Greek god. This man has Muay Thai for days, hits like a truck. I'm not sure about his jits, but I mean, he, he's team Norguera. I can't imagine you're, you're training with big nog and little nog and you have no jits. He is you also, you also don't have television. a name. You also don't have a name Henan Ferreira and not have jits. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guy is for real. This is appointment I television. I think that he's truly, he truly has the potential to become one of the best heavyweights in the world. Wow. Um, I at 32 years old. It's a little bit late, but we just talked about people coming on later in their career. You give this guy eight years of team Norguera training and, and fighting it at the top level. You put a million dollars in his pocket. He is fantastic. And a, and a really big problem for uh, Capelos. I've got to say two, uh, one of his two losses was, um, one of his two losses was an illegal strike. So not actually a strike. The other thing was he finished uh Fabricio Verdum that got overturned in no contest. But I mean, a guy who can finish for doom is a guy who is a dangerous motherfucker. Dangerous. Um, just, just finished off Jamel Jones quick as well. So Glitzen Abreu is definitely in for one here. Keep your eyes glued to the TV. A finish is incoming. Showtime Pettis against Stevie Ray, two ex UFC guys, and Showtime Pettis has been the kindest guy to us um, in the interview room. He he loves the spotlight, loves the interviews, and he's as kind as they come. Stevie Ray, great guy as well in his own right, and that's an interesting co-main event. I mean, that's like five years ago in the UFC pay-per-view co-main event. You know what I mean? This is these are yeah, two- but the most interesting thing I gotta say is just the situation Pettis is coming into this. Um, already clinched the playoffs can Mm -hmm. essentially walk into the octagon verbal tap and give Stevie Ray a playoff spot over Haush Manfield. If he really so chooses, it's, it's an interesting spot in terms of the season, in terms of gamesmanship, in terms of trying to stay healthy. Um, and I don't envy the, the PFL in this situation. They obviously tried their hardest to keep divisions fighting on the same card, but, um, yeah, it's just a really unique spot. I'm, interested to what I see. I'm tempted to absolutely hammer the over knowing kind of 
what guys did last week towards the end of the card after they knew that where they kind of stood in terms of points. And I, I, I think back of the Olivier Aubin Mercier fight who, I mean, in, in no drawback to him knew that he didn't need a finish, knew that he just needed to win every round over Ahush and not really play any dangerous games and didn't fight with a lot of output, made sure he was one or two strikes or one or two heavier strikes better than his opponent and really played it safe. It's just going to be interesting to see how this one goes, I guess, for future seasons and to see how the MMA as a league structure is really going to play out. That is very interesting take. And if that is a true edge that you find would be interesting to see how, how that stacks up over history. When a guy has his playoff spot clinched, we're on the forefront and you got to remember this PFL and the regular season is a new concept in the grand scheme of things. It's a new idea. So there's a lot of, of kinks that still need to be worked out. And, and that's, and I know we both have, um, held Ray Seffo's feet to the fire when asking him about those things. And he's always been very open about what his strategies are. Um, main event, Bruno Capeloza fighting uh, Mateus Scheffel, Matthias Scheffel. Um, I don't know. I just know Capeloza is a killer here. I'm sure the line's ginormous. But that's yeah, Capeloza is a killer. Uh, Scheffel is definitely his size, but – that's not really a concern when you look at Bruno as the former light heavyweight that's going to have a, a speed advantage over all these heavyweights he's facing. And he's shown that. I mean, he won the million last year. He's looked as good as it gets. He took out a guy like Ante DeLeo at a big size advantage um, and is a lot more skilled than Matus in this one. Uh, I mean, this is a guy whose last loss, and we're talking since 2015, is Jerry Prohaska the current light heavyweight champion in the UFC. Bruno Capeloza is the real deal. He's got all the skills. He's got all the speed. He's got all the power. Um, He's going to be my last leg of this parlay here that I, that I've been referring to. Oh, really, really quickly refer to your parlay quick Then I'm going to run through the lines. We're going to do a quick Bellator and then we'll get into the, what people really want UFC. So Bruno Capeloza, Hannon Ferreira, Ante D'Elia, Three heavyweights, three bangers, three finishers. That'll pay out around minus 135. The biggest wow. I've seen it is minus 150. Dude, that's a great bet at minus 130. Both those guys. So here are the quick lines. Um, Capelosa's minus 560 on DraftKings. Glidson Abreu, or no, Henan Ferreira is minus 500. And Ante Delia is minus 625. So that's incredible. And I was really tempted to try and bang the Hennon Ferreira and Bruno Capeloza inside the distance. But like I said, just with it being the second day of fights in the PFL season, it really kind of sketched me out going to the first one and just seeing how guys who knew their situations towards the end of the cards portrayed their fight. It's not even that bad. Just take the 130 on on Mm -hmm. stuff that ideally are a guarantee. And obviously in this sport, there are no guarantees, but those three fights seem as close as they come. So really, really quickly, um, I'm going to go through uh, Bellator quick. Nothing big, just a couple big-time fights that are worth taking a peek at if you are not doing anything. Sabah Hamasi, ex-UFC, and he's had a good run inside the Bellator ring. He's taken on Moikan Mendekan. There's tildes and shit in there. I don't understand. Um, Kat Saganu's fighting on the prelims against Pam Sorsen. 
Um, Brett Primus is taking on Alexander Shalbilly, but he's a 21 and three Russian. So you all Shabili, no, that's a that's a legit dude. There you go. 21 and three Russian, Alexander Shabili. So that he's taking on Brent Primus, who's also a legit dude. That'll be an awesome fight. Um, and then the the 135 bracket is kicking off as well. Magomed Magomedov is is taking on Enrique Barzola, an ex-UFC guy. And this is something that Danny and I were talking about pre. We saved it for the recording. I said, Danny, guess the line. And Danny goes, minus, what did you say? Three. I think I said 320. I said, guess again. He goes, 250. I'm going to hit him with a guess again. That's when we stopped. So guess again, Dan. I mean, do I go all the way down to like 150? That It cannot be there. It's lower, Dan. It's 145 on DraftKings, 155 on five dimes. Um, and I checked before we recorded, Magomed Magomedov is truly minus 145 on DraftKings. I checked. I mean, his, his only real loss, besides, I mean, he has two of the closest fights with Piotr Jan, a guy we have respected so much on this show. Yeah, and then he got shit on by Stotts. And that's yeah, really Tavian Soup with Stotts. That guy right. is as good as it gets. It this does not look poorly at all. Enrique Barzola is not Hafian Stotts. No. Do you guys remember? And, and when I say you guys, I'm uh, Reese, do you remember when um Enrique Barzola fought Mozart Abulov? I do. Did he want a sec? Did he win a second of that fight? Nope. And Why is this up, fight lying the same way? That's ended up with getting him cut. Um, he also lost his UFC fight to Kevin Aguilar, which Kevin Aguilar shortly thereafter. Got cut as well. He also split lost decision, to a guy. Bobby Moffitt. What are we doing? decision against Kyle Bokniak, who's over on that PFL card. And you can get Magomed Magomedov. But Dan, and this is something before we move to UFC that I'm scared of. Is this the end? Of, do they know something we don't? Is this a trap beyond all traps? I When I saw that line, Dan, my jaw hit the floor. I do not get it. What am I missing? Is he I, crippled? I, I really don't know. If there's an injury, I mean, I'm going to regret it, but on? this seems like right? a big bet that's going <laughs> to happen. This seems like the craziest spot I've ever seen. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. So with that being said, and a potential spot. Oh, and then I I didn't, I got so bogged down. Sorry. There's, um, so that's the first leg of the, uh, the Grand Prix. Then Leandro Higo is fighting Danny Sabatello for the second leg. 21 and five Brazilian versus 12 and one American. And then the main event is Gegar Mousasi um, putting his 185 pound title on the line against an undefeated 11 0 Johnny Eblen. And he's been a killer so far inside the Bellator cage. So I'm excited for that one. But one thing, Dan, Gegar's minus 225. Do you know who he also is minus 225 against? Undefeated Austin Vandifer. And Vandifer got absolutely assaulted in that one uh ground and pound round one so he did look a little iffy on the scale i'm gonna say that you mean this week yeah just just this morning oh i missed it what as in like he looked very depleted yeah interesting the last person i said that about was valentina going into the santos fight and that we saw that performance so it'll Mm -hmm. be interesting i might watch the weigh-ins tonight before bed yeah just yeah anyways those two friday cards you got there's so much shit Saturday midday. You got Reese McGee over on cage warriors. It's just out of control this weekend. Yeah, We got to get into this, but UFC we're getting card. into what really matters. Armin Saruki and Matus Gamrat at UFC Vegas, 57, 37, 57, which one? 57. An odd back number and then seven. 
Um, 6 p.m. Central main or prelims, 9 p.m. main card. So, Dan, I only have three, four. I actually have four bets on this entire card, and I'm very intrigued. But we're going to start in the very beginning. Jin Yu Fry versus Vanessa Demonopolis. Demolopolis, by the way, uh, retired stripper. So I've already done the Google searches, boys. There's nothing out there. But Dan, what <laughs> what is your thoughts on that one? For me, it's dog or pass. And the dog there is Demolopolis at plus 185. Jin Yu Fry minus 225. And so I'm going to lay off because I think Jin Yu Fry is more well-rounded. Yeah, I'm certainly not going against um, any kind of algorithm play here. Um, I think Frey is the much better Muay Thai striker. She probably very likely wins if it goes the full 15 minutes, which a lot of 115 fights do. Um, but I see holes in her ground game. And so if, if I'm looking at Demopolis and I'm looking at playing Demopolis, that plus 800 by sub is a pretty attractive number for maybe a sprinkle. I, I don't have it listed. I, I don't have it tracked, but Maybe a quarter unit flies there if I'm feeling a little uh, squirrely before the card starts. So before the card farts, Dan definitely is going to be feeling a little squirrely. Cut him off the gluten-free beer before he's slurring by the main event. I miss those days during quarantine where we would actually just get blacked out on the podcast. (laughs) If anyone hasn't listened to some of the older stuff, it is great. Um, Mario Batista. Back in the days of the, uh, all the the games we used to play that just didn't matter. Never does. Um, Mario Batista versus Brian Kelleher at 135. And we were actually talking about Brian Kelleher this week, Dan, I think, on the phone. Mario Batista is minus 167. So we'll call it 170 because the other sites are a little higher. Um, Brian Kelleher plus 150. Little line movement here. Batista uh, seemingly opened around one, the 140 mark. So it's definitely gotten steamed down. But what's interesting is we were talking about how Umar, who's up the card later, has a really tough fight in Nate Maness and that Nate Maness is more, not more of a killer, but a much tougher fight than Brian Kelleher. Brian Kelleher is here on the prelims against Amario Batista, who's honestly trying to make an example out of Kelleher, make a name for himself um, a- after beating Miles Johns in the UFC, um, stouched, you know, Jay Perrin, but he's also admit, I mean, Corey Sandhagen, he got finished by a pretty, fast and, and same with Trevin Jones. So it's really interesting to see Kelleher as a dog here, a guy who a lot of people think is that gatekeeper type at 35 almost. Yeah. And I, so I found a pattern in looking at um, doing tape study for Kelleher. And it's that he loses to guys, every single guy that he's unable to take down and re- and really use his mm. use all of his mixed martial arts against and if he becomes stuck in kind of one facet of his game he gets really lost and so you look at cody stamen you look at ricky simone and obviously all umar, phenomenal wrestlers obviously umar is a guy that you're not going to try and take down i don't think he's going to have a lot of success taking down mario batista interesting now and, let me and ask so, you another question does batista fall for the guillotine trap i don't think so I think that Batista is going to do his best to uh, stay at range, stuff takedowns, um, avoid the the bombs from Kelleher because we know the power is there for for an overhand to end it. But I see Batista winning a decision in this one. I I, I really think he's going to sprawl and brawl and just stay at range. I, I I like this Batista spot and and Kelleher I respect a lot. I don't think he's going to be able to take down an MMA lab guy in Batista 
who's just got the reps and, and really is has shown he's a good wrestler. You look at the Miles Johns fight, and um, I know that it was he just caught a knee at the end, but it's a round of some takedown stuffed and a really well timed knee that if Keller is going to look to wrestle, he he better have his head out for this. Right. Right. And I don't hate that at all. And apparently sharps are on it as well. Bumping this from 140 to 170. Coden Tur- Durden taking on JP buys at 125. Durden finds himself at a minus or actually plus a hundred, but minus on a couple sheets. Um, but as five dimes, our usual suspect, it's minus 110 each way. Line opened at Durden minus 145. And that's important just because you can see the money coming in pretty steadily on JP buys which begs the question on what do they see here, Dan? Because my first instinct is Durden's wrestling is going to be able to get the job done when you see how dominant Montel Jackson looked, which obviously I'm not putting Montel Jackson and Cody Durden in the same light. It's more just like, you know, that wrestling's a point that can, that could potentially get off on JP buys. Do you disagree? Uh, just a little bit. And I, okay. I liked this spot a lot more when it was like a plus 120, whatnot. Uh, minus 110 isn't crazy, but I see why the money's coming in on JP buys. That Montel Jackson fight um, was a little bit short notice and it was up at Bantamweight. And so I think that the size is really what played into that wrestling. And I don't think that Cody Durden's going to have 15 minutes of, of a wrestling match win over JP buys. I see a lot more back and forth if that's Cody's strategy and you're right. He does rely on his wrestling, but he also is one to kind of come in really quickly and, and, and not have the best game plan. And we, we saw it versus Jimmy flick. He rushed him and Jimmy flick just caught him absolutely like off his game, flying triangle choke after you're closing the distance. And then the same kind of thing with the Mohammed Mokayev. And I know it was only 58 seconds, but like, you're gasping for air on that guillotine choke. Like he already gassed in the first 30. It was, it, it was kind of interesting, but um, I, I'm not going to pro I'm, I'm not going to be playing this. I can confidently say that, but I do see why the com- money's coming in on JP buys. Okay. Yeah. I, I, this is not one of my four bets. Just interesting that the money was coming on buys for me. I'm glad that you, it makes sense to you. Julian Paiva's taken on Sergey Morozov. Sergey Morozov is minus 150. Julian Paiva plus 130. Line opened at 110 each way. Dan, this is one of my wagers. Who do you think I'm on? You better be on the same side as me and your boy Tony Gravely because it's Sergey Morozov time. I am. I am on Sergey Morozov. I locked it in at 130 a couple days ago. It's currently at 150. So I'm sorry, listeners, that we slacked. You might have lost a little closing. Still like it at 150, though. I like it at 150, and I also really like the fact that the line's moving that direction. Um, Paiva's a, a, a very talented fighter in his own right. I mean, beating Kyler Phillips, a fight I watched back, is remarkable. I mean, Kyler Phillips is humongous for the size and extremely talented. And so Julian Paiva's clearly a gamer. That's never been something I doubted. It's more just when you look at a guy like Morozov and what Morozov can bring to the table. And I think you're getting value based on how his last couple of fights have gone, even though, I mean, he's fighting the, the who's of who I, I really like Morozov here stylistically. And just if I really had to pick the better fighter. 100%. And the main thing for me is 
in Paiva's last couple of fights, he's so hittable. He does not move his head off the center line. And a guy like Morozov, although he ended up getting clipped, was landing and landing in numbers against Douglas De Silva de Andrade. And obviously that's the sport. Sometimes you're Andrade someone, sometimes you're getting clipped. Power, right? I mean, yeah. Oh, significantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and I noticed that on with Paiva, but Paiva relies a lot on his range. I mean, he's very rangy for 25 and 35. Um, do you think Morozov's going to have a tough time closing that range? I mean, when you look at like his last fight with Douglas Da Silva, he he had the range advantage against a guy like Da Silva. Now he's the one trying to close the distance. Is that going to be tough for him? Or do you think it helps him because the power is not there in exchange for the range? I, I think it's not going to be as tough of a striking matchup for him as the Douglas Da Silva Dan. I also think this finds was. its way to the ground quite a bit as well. I agree, and I think that Morozov has the grappling advantage here, or at least we're going to see him higher percent on top when we're uh, getting into those scrambles and whatnot. And that's why I really like this spot. And, yeah, and like this spot really, too. there's nothing that Halloween and Paiva is going to bring to the table that Tony Gravely hasn't shown him in the past couple of weeks. I mean, we'll see, but this is starting to sound like our potential ankle lock, Dan. I, I it mean, might be. It might be, but we'll move up the card. TJ, I got one more spot I might like a little. I more. have a couple spots too, and this is not one of them. TJ Brown against Sheelian, Nerby, and BK. The line here, Nerby and BK plus 160. TJ Brown Nerby minus and five. Whatever, Kobe. You you thought Paolo Banchero was a 1-3. Um TJ Brown opened at 250 and has gotten steam down. <laughs> yeah, and I like the steam down. I'm seeing it all the way as minus 185. And I think that's a great price to play on TJ Brown. Shylon, from what I've seen, likes to get on the front foot, spam some takedowns, uh, not really with a ton of setup, but really use that forward pressure, grind you against the cage, try and grind your way to the mat. Um, but I haven't seen that he's so effective on the feet. And also, I think- lost to Rong Zhu. Sorry. Yeah. I think TJ Brown has the wrestling advantage and especially defensively. I, I don't see him getting dominated or, or put on his back for, for long periods of time. I think he, I'm going to use this phrase again. I think he'll be able to sprawl and brawl, stay on his feet and really hurt Shylon when it's up there. I, mean, I, I do give him the advantage in striking. Um, also, I do apologize for clapping at Kobe. That was unnecessary. Kobe, how do you pronounce it? I didn't even hear you. I clapped at you too fast. Nordian Bika. So she, she, she Lin. Did I get that part right? She Lin. I'm not sure about that one. All right. At least you're honest. I've got it. Shailan Nordian Bika. Okay. Well, either way, we won't have to mutter it long because TJ Brown for the W boys. Um, okay. So, Dan, this is a spot I think I like. Tefan Chukwi against Carlos. I really Robert. hope we're on the same side here, too. I've got I like, a lot of bets on this card. I imagine we're on the same side, but I'm on Olberg actually. Ooh, ooh, I'm on Tafan, the Don. Interesting. This is what we this is what we live for. So here's why I'm on Olberg. And so before we get into it, the line is Olberg plus 105, Tefan Chuki minus 125. But it's it's been, I mean, it's back and forth. It's pick your poison. It opened at Olberg minus 140. So sharps have flipped it, but it's been consistent kind of getting action on both sides here's why i like olberg dan so tefan is is very predictable in the way he fights he marches you down he sits in the center line and he throws low volume high power and you see it time and time again and that's the main reason why he lost to jung young park 
because of the fact that it was low volume and Jung Young Park had the experience to drag him out. I know Olberg's lacking the experience, but what Olberg does have is a ginormous kickboxing pedigree. I think that Olberg's going to be able to stay at range, stay on the outside. And honestly, I'll, I'll, I don't think he's going to finish Tefan. I think he's just going to outpoint him. I, I really do. And I think that when you look at every second he's had in the UFC, outside from gassing out against Kennedy, which is a learning experience that everyone has to have in the MMA, um, he's hasn't lost a second really. And he put the hurt on Kennedy too, before he ended up gassing miserably. So I think he's going to basically just land a little bit more volume than Tefan and, and end up getting it 30, 27 by just peppering him with shots. Now I'm so, interested. So yeah, I, I don't hate your take. I've been on Olberg in his past two fights. Um, lost one, 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 whatever. He's a specialist, right? He, right. Like, he trains with Izzy. He's a great kickboxer. He's really long. He, uh, like you said, he, he's got the ability to pepper with strikes. But what we've seen from him in his two fights was coming out really hot and gassing. And, and, and then he comes back and he throws a total of like 110 strikes over 15 minutes. And he really doesn't do much. And it's kind of like he's still learning. He, it's that experience that we talk about a lot. And I'm, I just pulled up the stats because this was a fight I watched earlier today. Tefan to Don and Chuck, we slow Mike Rodriguez, another guy with a lot of reach, another guy that's pretty decent at working off his jab. Another um, guy, a guy who's not in UFC, but continue. For sure. I, I'm not trying to say that they're the same quality striker. They're not. But slow Mike's got that long jab kind of based uh, striking game. And Tefan, is, as a smart and experienced striker, Lands three takedowns, one per That's round, gets around a minute of wrestling and, and top control in each round and grinds a unanimous decision out that everyone That's thought so would be played out on the so, feet. And so, Tefan's just on top and winning. So interesting to me because Tefan is a pure athlete who doesn't actually have that much MMA experience. He started, he started his professional career in 2019. You're right. No, you're, you're and, right. I'm not, I'm not talking about experience, like list of whatever fights I'm talking about of in terms of UFC, different game plans we've seen. And obviously that Jung Young Park fight was a bad performance, but since then he's gone you, and displayed that he's got every him. aspect of this mixed martial arts stuff. And then goes and pretty much beats Merzikhanov until Merzikhanov throws like a Hail Mary flying knee after being gassed out. Um, in the third round, I mean, I was on Merzikhanov that night and I was clenched. I, I was so nervous. Yeah. Defonda Don has really impressed me. I got to say. See, the thing that hasn't impressed me was volume and the, the normal techniques that you would see out of someone who has very good standup, really good head movement, mixing in a lot of jabs, like those types of things he hasn't quite come around to yet. And, and the way he's fought almost every time from taping is he locks down the center, slowly walks you down, makes you be a counter striker, makes you cuts the cage off and, and makes you move. Olberg's style fits into that so well. I mean, he's just a rangy kickboxer. But that's never in, in your same argument about Izzy, though. We've never seen him on his back. And I think that Nchukwi's going to put him on his back a couple of times. And I so think if that's you part think, of his game. Okay, plan. here's what I'll say. If you think Chuk, uh, Chukwi's gonna or Chukwi's gonna put him on his back, then you're right. Chukwi's gonna win. 
I that's, think. That's, yeah, that's where I'm coming from, I guess. Okay. My thought is that I think Olberg's going to be able to use his range as a kickboxer, stay around on the outside, and I don't believe he's going to get taken down. That's where I'm at on it. So it'll be interesting to see whose prediction comes right. You're right. If Ch- if Chukli gets on top of him and takes him down, I think that that's the round and, and he will bank it. Um, it'll be interesting. I, I honestly might lay off this one now because I wasn't super – I didn't have major conviction towards it like I did Sergey Morozov. I mean, neither Kennedy and Chukli, Bruno Oliveira, or Fabio Sharon have attempted a takedown. Right, but do you think that's because they're incapable or do you think that's because of the way that Olberg moves? It, it could definitely be because of the way he moves. I think that it, 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 it'll be interesting. The back. only time we ever answer this is when Saturday comes around. That's why I fucking love this sport. Here's another one I'm really interested to hear your opinion on. Chris Curtis is fighting Adolfo Vieira, and the line is Chris Curtis, who's really come out of nowhere but has been an absolute beast, minus 125, Adolfo Vieira plus 105, Line to open at Chris Curtis minus 180 and has just been hammered on the Hidalfo side. I here's the thing Hidalfo's the best grappler the UFC has, or top five, whatever. He was losing to Dustin Stolfsis before he ripped off that rear naked choke, and he ended up losing to Anthony Hernandez because he got gassed out. Um, I don't remember the Safarov fight, to be honest, and there's a lot of grappling fights mixed in between. Chris Curtis, on the other hand, has dealt with a grappler like Brandon Allen, just destroyed him. Has dealt with a wrestler like Phil Hawes, destroyed him. I actually like, and I'm not betting it because I know that all Hidalfo needs is a limb and it's over, but I kind of like Chris Curtis there at the new line. I'm disappointed in hearing you say that you're not betting it because I want to ink lock it. When I said earlier that I, I've got one I like more. Which one is it's it? this Chris Curtis spot. You like I Chris Curtis love here? Chris Curtis here. I re- like you said, it's we were just talking about specialists. Adolfo Vieira is as specialist of a specialist. I know, but gets. that's what scares me. He's got no wrestling. He's got no ability to take Chris Curtis to the mat. We just saw Brendan Allen, who's got that ability really struggle anytime he tried to take Chris Curtis the man anytime he got there Chris Curtis right back up it's like Chris- a Paul Craig situation though like if like I'm here's the thing I would bet Chris Curtis but my butt cheeks would be clenched every single time that Hadolfo even touches him I love Chris Curtis in that spot in this spot I cannot I cannot stress it enough I love how the line is is just getting better and better I'm waiting and I'm that waiting part, and it never part- stops that part I like, but it also scares me because Sharps are hammering down the Hidolfo side. Sharps have been wrong. Vegas has been wrong on Chris Curtis in every single step of the way here. He has looked phenomenal as like a plus 250 plus dog in every step of his career. Phil Hawes is a you gamer. Another- Brandon Allen is a guy we have a lot of respect for. Especially you know Brandon Allen is so much better in terms of wrestling than Hidolfo Vieira is. I don't see how Hidolfo gets him onto the mat here. I see Hidolfo trying to pull guard halfway through the second round and just getting beat up. The other thing we mentioned, Hidolfo had that really serious surgery that they didn't know he was ever going to even fight again. This is That's why he got scratched off his last card. He had a back surgery or neck surgery. And he's lost on the feet. Lost. Chris Curtis is going to hurt him. And Adolfo is going to be like, no, can we, can we grapple please? And, and Chris is just going to be like, no, dude, you're done. Yeah. 
No, you're not. I wrong. love Chris Curtis here. I really do. Interesting. So that that kicked off the main card, and I, Danny has convinced me because I did like Chris Curtis here. But the reason why I was one foot in, one foot out was just because of the specialist prowess. Like last thing I need is Chris Curtis winning ten minutes like Stolsis and then getting backpacked. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what terrifies me. Because and it's it, that's the sport. I mean, we were just talking about right. Sergey Morozov winning until he got clipped yeah. from Douglas De Silva to Andrade, and then it was just over. But I really love this matchup for Chris Curtis, and 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 Vieira is a, a guy that. I've wanted to be so good for so long, but he doesn't have the gas tank. He's got no striking. He's got absent wrestling. Give him a limb. He'll take it home, but that's about it. Um, Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. Moving up the card, Umar Nurmagomedov is taking on Nate Maness. And Umar is a whopping minus, where the fuck is it? Minus a thousand now. Nate Maness plus 650. Opened at Umar minus 500 and just keeps on running. I already know Danny's thought process on this. So, Danny, it's at that line you liked. You know, I, I flipped a little bit here watching Nate Maness today. Mm. Nate Maness, 3-0 and in the UFC. A guy who has a win over one of our favorite fighters, Tony Gravely. Uh, Went over Luke Sanders, a guy I respect. I've got his UFC strike NFT. Went over Johnny Munoz. <laughs> um, every single one of those fights, though, he was in a really bad spot. Johnny Munoz Jr. He's in. He's on on his back in full mount, getting hammered as the the clock winds down in the first. You give an extra minute on that round, he stopped. Luke Sanders. He's backpacked and almost subbed before switching in the second and getting his own rear naked choke. Then Tony Gravely, he was, he, his corner had to go in there and, and wake him up and tell him like, Hey, the fight's still going on. Get ready for round two, dude. And I, and he came back and won that. It's been a lot, a lot of adversity in three wins with two finishes. It's just not something you see a lot. And Umar's a guy that you give him, you show some blood, you show some weakness and he's going to finish. I'm so surprised looking at best fight odds right now and seeing Umar inside the distance at like minus 125. That seems like a gift. I That's really think that Maness is going to go to sleep or get subbed. You give Umar 15 minutes, cousin Umar, and he is going to put you out. I really believe that if Tony Gravely was getting it done, Umar is going to get it done. And, and Nate Maness seems to just have a horseshoe up his ass and it's got to go out. Like it really, candles got to go out eventually. I do not disagree with you. Wow. I, I like that take, and I'm shocked you flipped as hard as you did. But I agree, and it's untouchable at 1,000. So take the finish at plus, minus 125. I'm totally sold on that idea. Tiago Moises against Christos Gagos, a guy that we mentioned on the PFL side of things. Tiago Moises is minus 240. Gagos plus 200. And it opened as high as uh, Tiago Moises minus 300. So has come down a sizable amount, which I think is right. I think that Gagos is not a, a – I don't think Moises is a minus 300 over Gagos, but he's definitely the favorite here. Yeah. Um, and it's more so just a bad stylistic matchup for Gagos. He's a guy who loves to grapple, kind of relies on his wrestling. Um, and taking a guy like Tiago Moises to the ground is just a bad strategy. Yeah. Neither guy's incredibly sharp on the feet. They're kind of both low-volume guys, but I tend to give the edge to Moises. And so I think that Yago's not being able to really get his 
wrestling onto the front foot just because I wouldn't take Diago Moises to the ground unless my name was like Islam. Um, right. And even that took four rounds. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think he's going to have a lot of success on the feet. So this isn't one I'm excited to throw any juice at Moises, but I'm considering maybe like a, a Moises Shavkat parlay. Interesting. Josh Parisian is taking on Alan Baudot and somehow that snuck on the main card. These are two guys that are auto fade on mine and it's minus one. Baudot is minus 115, Parisian's minus 105, but it, it opened at 115, 105. Hasn't seen a lot of movement. I mean, Parisian for me, he didn't even win his last fight. He, he lost to Dontel, or no, he did lose to Dontel Mays. I mean, the Roque Martinez, he lost on my cards. Lost to Parker Porter. In my opinion, he's slow. He's runs out of gas ridiculously fast. Um, it's just that Baudot on the other side isn't someone that I'm clamoring at the chops to necessarily back. And so for that, I'm just going to lay off this one. I, I don't really like either of these guys. Yeah, don't have a ton to add. I tend to think this one goes over if you're just degenerate looking for something to play on every single fight. Um, but yeah, this is not a spot for me. Worth adding. So co-main event, Neil Magny minus 200 against Shavkat. No, Neil Magny is taking on Shavkat Rachmanov. And I'm Shav- never going to live this down, am I? No, you're probably not. Shavkat is minus 460. Neil Magny is plus 365. It opened at Shavkat minus 275. Neil Magny plus 235. If you want a good chuckle, uh, go listen to the set the spread this week. But Danny's as sharp as they come, so I'm just giving him a hard time. Um so there is a Malort put out that was happening with blind lines. I got Shavkat. Dan's got Neil. Dan's already pouring the fucking Malort. I know this. Um, but yeah, Dan, Neil Magny's going for a record of most welterweight victories. He's looking to surpass um, GSP here. And then Shavkat obviously is trying to prove that he is the man that everyone thinks he is. I think Shavkat's going to have his way with Neil. I think it's going to be just a, a very top-heavy domination, but I think it's going to be a good 15 minutes for Shavkat in a learning experience because of how good Neil Magny's been throughout his career. And yeah. and that's and I would be hard to be swayed any other way. I, I don't see Shavkat getting subbed. I don't see Shavkat getting beat up on the feet. And I don't see Neil Magny doing what he did to guys like Michael Chiesa or, or he lost Michael Chiesa. I mean, Jeff Neal and Robbie Lawler, where he just kind of leeches them and just drags on them. I don't think he's going to be able to do that with a guy like Shavkat. And that's kind of where I came. Obviously, Magni has all the experience. Shavkat seemingly has all the skill at this point. Um, and he's also just humongous. I really wanted to just out of principle play Neil <laughs> Magni and, and where I came to, um, is more just so about what I've noticed a trend in um, the judges in a a lot of these recent fights. Magny has a ton of success, as you said, leeching onto his opponents, dominating really just cage pressure or or, um, having the, having, having the center of the cage when he's holding the clinch and, and winning those decisions. But it doesn't seem like judges have been rewarding that a a little bit. And it seems like just a little bit of damage, a little bit more output is trumping that cage control. And that's kind of where I saw Magni's game plan to be is just showing that experience, showing, making things hard for Shavkat really was, is the strategy, just making everything as hard as possible, making everything as difficult as possible. Um, 
and just showing kind of a veteran game game plan. And I, I think Shavkat in the clinch is a bad place to put Shavkat. It, he's so good there. I think Shavkat anywhere. And that's kind of why I don't know if I can comfortably give Neil Magny the edge anywhere other than experience. Um, and so I have Shavkat as a, as a parlay ad. And the parlay ad is actually, it's it's a two-leg parlay, and it's Shavkat and this next guy, Armin Sarukian, against Mateusz Gamrat. Both of these guys are fucking incredible. Both of these guys are the face of the UFC five years from now, three years from now, honestly. Um, the line is Armin Sarukian minus 280. Mateusz um, plus 240. It opened at Armin Sarukian minus 140, which I would have definitely hammered if I would have seen it. Um, Dan, my thinking behind this is Mateus is incredible. He, he really is beyond talented. Here's the thing. We were joking about leg locks at PFL and, and we've, his leg lock game is incredible. We saw it against Jeremy Stevens. Armin lunged into Yoel Alvarez's guard. I mean, it, it's, it's a strength slash pressure wrestling out of Armin that is honestly eerily similar to Islam. And if you watch that Islam fight back, it wasn't a one-sided domination. I mean, it was, uh, it was a very, I mean, Islam was just a little bit better than Armin that night. Armin's grown a lot since then. I, if I had to guess, and this is an honest guess, I think Armin actually finishes him. And I think he finishes him in a similar style to how he finished Yoel. I'm not saying all the blood, but what I am saying is I think Mateus is really going to, neither of these guys are going to want to necessarily keep it on the feet. I think this is going to be grappling exchanges. And I think that Armin's just going to have the top pressure and, and get the job done. And, and, and that's really, it's just going to be top pressure and volume. And I think uh, Gomrat's going to get a lot of good sub attempts out. I just don't think any of them are really going to be, I think that, Armin's sub defense is, I mean, anyone who's going into Neil Alvarez's guard, I respect a little bit. You have to think that there's a confidence there. Um, and so my parlay is Shavkat. Um, he was minus 365 at the time or 390 at the time, something like that. There was a three in it. Uh, and it's against Armin with Armin at uh, minus 260 and it paid out um, minus 130. And I really like that spot there. I don't hate both. And, and both spots, I think, are probably going to win. I don't like Matus Gamrat as like a plus 240 dog against anyone in the world. I truly believe that. Against, I think he's got all the skills. And, and like, and I'll finish it with this, is Armin, Armin is probably one of the best lightweights in the world. I think top, he's top two, top three. I think, I think he's top three. I think he, I put he him, really is it's him. In my opinion, it's him, Dubronx, Islam. That's where I have my top three. And I don't disagree with any of that. And I to think Perth, that Armin is a guy that's going to be in many title fights. I think he'll hold gold. I think all these two. Yeah. I don't like this number for him. Matus is. I, I know that you have a lot of respect for Howell, and he, he's shown he's got great jits. There's a difference between being a black belt, being like a fifth degree black belt, and then being a competitor at ADCC World Championships in in the black belt division. I mean, he like it's a a loss to Gary Tonin, but Gary Tonin is like as legendary as it gets. Matusa's jujitsu is on a different level than Joel Alvarez. I'll say that. Um, 
And Matus, I think, is more of a complete fighter than Hoel. And I don't know why I'm comparing this guy to Hoel so much. It's just the yeah, last matchup. Yeah, I don't matchup. even know if that's really the way to – I mean, I know it's the last matchup. It was more for me just showing, like, oh, Yoel is a guy you look at with great jits, a guy who just dismantled Tiago Moises. For sure. And, and I, I think that ran right through him. Matus has better jits than even and, and he's that's fine. I, I agree. He's got unreal stuff. Um, I agree. But wrestling's like, there, obviously not nearly on the same level as Armin. That's the um, he, he's a competitive striker. He doesn't put together so many combos, but he works well, behind his jab I, I, really well. If you had to give someone a striking edge, where do you put it? I That was something when watching tape back, I really couldn't assign it. I think they're both. After watching Guram fight again, I'm going to give it to Matus. I truly believe that. That's interesting. Okay. But I don't, I don't think that that's going to be the end all be all. I do think he's going to lose this fight. I think that Armin is that elite. And Armin I, that's, is unbelievable. Look, I the number I, is something I, I don't like. Look, I don't think look, I I hear exactly what you're saying. What you're saying is this: Armin's probably going to win or going to win. Armin's is a top three lightweight. It just so happens that Matus is top five and shouldn't be plus two sixty. Is yeah, that just yeah, that, okay? That, that and I can respect summary. That. And that I can a respect perfect that. summary right there. And that I can completely respect. And that's why I'm not laying Armin straight. I'm doing it in a Shavkat Armin parlay to get that down to 130. That's I just like the it. truth of it. Matus, I'm so excited. I see for it the his same future. way. Armin, I'm equally excited for his future. I think yeah. that we're going to see this rematch uh, headlining a card maybe five years down the line. I will admit. For the lightweight strap. I will admit. I don't disagree with that at all. Call it now. I, I will admit, though, um, I, I do think that if I was to set this line, I would have Armin probably exactly minus 180, 190, Mateus plus 150 on the other side. Like, Toby, if you not, have it in front of you, do you know where we set it? I have no, I don't remember I at all. While I look for it, can I make a call too? Please. Sure. We're going to get the Sarukian Islam rematch for a strap before we get the Gamrat. Nah, that's safe. Bet. Rematch for a strap. That's a safe bet. My guess is this, except I'm going to, here's another prediction. I think Dubronx, Beats Islam. I think Dubronx. Armin was saying that he's confident uh, Islam I saw will finish Dubronx. Yeah, but he's never fought Dubronx. Y'all were all over this one. It, so it, it opened at minus 140 in early June. We did this in like mid-June, June 13th. It was at minus 240 Sarukian at the time. Reese had minus 260. Dan had basically the under minus 255. Uh, so Dan won the point. Yeah. Yeah. I, Dan, I've come down on it because. Oh, I already, yeah, I remember this at the spread. I just yeah. didn't pick my number because I was still tilted from the Shavkat. So I, Dan, I came down on this because I, after taping, you realize that basically what you summed up is that Mateus is going to lose, but he is top five lightweight. That's he has pretty everything much everything. Like, right. I'm so this is going to be another matchup like that is Magulov Kutate Ladze from last week. Just yeah. on the edge of your seat, the highest level of this sport, two guys that are going to go after each other and really put it all, leave it all on the octagon. I'm so excited. Me too. What a great weekend we have for fights. I'm going to be glued to the TV Friday night, Saturday night. It's going to be amazing. I wouldn't ask for anything else this weekend. Kobe, any spring cleaning before we poha our way out of here? No, we've got a lot of content coming this upcoming week, though, between set the spreads, 
UFC 265. The pay-per-view? It's like 270. 276. Yeah, it's in the 70s. Um, as well as we'll have an interview out next week. Yeah, as well. a bunch of exciting stuff. So we, we're, we're still working over here, grinding it out. But until then, enjoy the fight cards this weekend. Poha! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.